This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. And on the other side is my good friend Gideon Joubert, who is pretty much the creme de la creme, Gideon, when it comes to all things firearms, hey? Well, thank you for the compliment, Jeremy. Uh, I don't quite know if I'm the creme de la creme. Cream is something that goes sour and off if you leave it out of the <laughs> fridge, which um, <laughs> maybe maybe that's what explains my cynicism these days. But yeah, thank you. I'll take it. Uh, there is a farms control amendment bill, a proposal. It's still in draft format, but uh, it's open for public comment. And it essentially does does a whole bunch of terrible things. The, the one is it bans self-defense as a reason to own a gun. It bans collectors as a license category in their entirety. It is a open assault on hunters and sport shooters as well because it neuters their sections of the Farms Control Act to such a significant degree that it essentially kills off sport shooting and hunting and all but name. Um, it's a, it kills off or rather it makes it unlawful to reload your ammunition, which yeah. is something most hunters and sport shooters do for very, very valid reasons, not just as a cost-saving measure. It's, it's this catch-all thing that has in its as its foundation a terrible document that is 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 badly researched if researched at all there was no stakeholder engagement process it's just you know it let me not insult anyone's intelligence it's just blatant tyranny that's masquerading as legislation it's not even trying to appear reasonable rational or even defending its points anymore it's just a naked assault on your ability to, to to own a gun legally. Mind you, it's an assault on responsible firearm ownership as well because the people who presently own firearms unlawfully are not affected by this yeah. at all. And they're going to carry on uh, robbing cash and transit heist trucks and uh, robbing jewelry stores and doing what they do. So, uh, I mean, let's just, let's just make it clear to those listening who are not f- from South Africa, this is obviously a South African issue. Uh, but what's going on here is that the government clearly doesn't want us to be armed. Or am I reading into it wrong? No, you're reading into, in, into it absolutely correctly. And this was the original purpose of the Farms Control Act of 2000 is they knew in 1999 that it would be impossible at that stage to ban civilian farm ownership in South Africa in totality. So their plan was to do it incrementally with the FCA starting in 2004 with the first well, rather the first incarnation of the law, and then through a series of amendments, erode farm ownership rights away over the next couple of years. They didn't succeed in that. Then in 2018, there came a pretty desperate attempt at at pushing a self-defense ban on a whole bunch of things. It got leaked. Everybody jumped on it. Well, let me rephrase, and this is not a swipe at anyone, but everyone being Gun Owners SA and a handful of other organizations saw it for what it was, jumped on it, created such a public brouhaha while a whole bunch of other gun owning organizations just sat in their hands and said um, th- they don't feel comfortable acting on a leak and essentially did nothing. Regardless, it w- there was enough of an uproar created that this thing was, was, was shelved and those who were responsible for pushing it went back with their tails between their legs. They basically took that thing off the shelf, dusted it off, added a whole bunch of worse things to it, and decided to run with it again now. That's that's what's happened. Now, more than ever, is a good time to get armed. Absolutely, because there's also a good news story to this, is the fact that the response against this 
uh, in the past 24 hours when it really, you know, the, the response to it actually opened up. It's been broad. We've had organizations from AfriForum to the MK military veterans mm. in their own capacities coming out against this thing. We've had the Institute of Race Relations. We had the Free Market Foundation. We had Gun Owners SA. We had the National Hunting and Shooting Association. Uh, we've had, we had DRSA to a degree. Everyone who's anyone has so far piled in and there are more people to come. It's such a broad cross-section of society that are pissed off at this that yeah get a gun like go do your proficiency training go through the process if you're not a gun owner if if you believe in your right to life mm. and your family's right to life and you want the most effective tool with which to defend it and you've got the correct mindset go develop that mindset get the training and get the firearm and become a hard target for criminal predators and tyrants well on. so let's do some hard selling here why should people get a gun? I mean, it's a scary, it's a scary thing. Why, uh, why not just trust the police? Well, the problem with trusting the police, and it's a very much a personal choice. Mm. And before I bore everyone with statistics, I'm just going to give you a fact. And the fact is that you're always the first responder to your personal emergency. Nobody else can be on the scene before you, because guess what? You're there. You're it. Uh, there's a, there's a very cynical saying, but it's true that when seconds matter, the police are only minutes away. And how vi how violent confrontations happen is they're generally short lived. They're a couple of seconds to a couple of minutes at max. They're incredibly dynamic. They're incredibly mm -hmm. violent. Your abilities, mindset, skills, and equipment, what you have to bring to the party during those crucial seconds, can literally mean the difference between life and death. And it's not that it's an, uh, uh, an unrealistic concern. I mean, South Africa is statistically the sixth most homicidal nation on earth. Yeah. Our rate of sexual violence is amongst the highest in the world. And we're looking at in excess of 50,000 rapes and sexual assaults reported mm. every year. And it is generally accepted that that is a horrendously underreported statistic, the degrees of which vary, right? Yeah. So that's why you should consider getting lawfully and responsibly armed the gun's just a tool guys why not just get a pepper gun or a blank some sort of blank gun <laughs> I, ho I hope norman's kidding with me but um <laughs> because that's that's not actually something that's going to work now pepper guns have their space in in, in a defensive toolbox but they're a low level deterrent that's the sort of thing you use against a baggie who's getting a little bit too close for comfort and doesn't want to listen and you want a less lethal thing to discourage a potential assault right um that's not what you're going to go to when someone's really trying to kill you uh i would say you're better off with a butter knife in the event of, <laughs> of fighting off someone's rear track here because with enough force and with enough determination you can actually kill someone with a butter knife in order to defend yourself so and, and that's really not me being facetious i promise 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 if you had to say to me dude here's here's a a member of the 28 gang uh and he's coming to to kill you with a bicycle spoke and he's and that's what his job is right he's not going to leave until either you or him is dead and you get to choose one of two weapons to defend yourself with here's a pepper gun and here's a butter knife i'm going for the butter knife <laughs> because i can still do something with the 
the, the badger life. <laughs> you were you were about to swear, weren't you? <laughs> yes, I'm trying to do less of that. Well, yeah, the more uh, the more you you you're exposed to the firearm, what responsible and safe firearm ownership and manipulation means, and you actually go and practice it at a range amongst other people and you learn from the experience and you and you it's a bit like it's exactly in fact like owning a car or mm-hmm. learning how to use power tools for the first time or taking on any sort of responsibility that's a bit bigger and more complex than than dicking around with a coloring book and and, and wax crayons mm-hmm. you know every aspect of adult human life requires a bit of personal responsibility to a certain degree and some ownership of of the consequences of getting something wrong. Um, I mean, we do drive cars every day and, and you always get the crowd that says, oh, but there's a big difference between cars and guns. I go, not really. If you if you think about it rationally, mm. a car is a one to maybe two ton device, a uh, piece of very complex machinery, in fact, that's moving at speeds of like 60 Ks an hour with, with that momentum behind that. If you are irresponsible, and, and not paying attention and doing things you're not supposed to be doing, you can kill somebody with that piece of equipment and be yeah. held criminally liable for it. And this includes answering text messages while cruising down the street on the way to the bakery, yeah. guys and girls. Um, am I allowed to say guys and girls on your channel? <laughs> <laughs> Gideon, is getting a gun in South Africa easy? No, it's probably one of the most difficult administrative processes we have. And in the world, it's one of the worst. So a very good mate of mine, Walt, Walt says he's watching the stream tonight. So Walt, if you're watching, hello, fly home safely from Lusaka tomorrow. Um, Walt's been up in Zambia for a while and he went into a whole bunch of the gun shops in Lusaka just to ask around. And they've got all the fun stuff. They've got handguns, AR-15s shotguns of all stripes hunt the most beautiful hunting rifles he says he's ever seen and many of these gun dealerships are run by women owned and operated by women and he and he asked the woman behind the counter you know just as a matter of interest as a foreigner how difficult would it be for him to get a license and she said well no what she would need is his passport and his work permit and their government is horrendously inefficient that he might have to unfortunately wait up to a month to get his license and he's like are you kidding me? You know, like Zambia has more efficient gun control than we do. So does Namibia. In South Africa, it's a huge process. It's a full-blown, you have to do a, a full-blown proficiency training thing, which isn't, in my opinion, a bad thing. But that takes three months for the police to process. Then for every individual gun you have, you, you would like to own, you have to do an individual license application where you state specifically the need for that gun. Why do you need it? And that takes a minimum of three months to get processed. To go from zero to being a gun owner, if you need a gun for self-defense now, forget about it because it's going to take you six months if you've got nothing, which is why I recommend people to start the process sooner rather than later. It's a hugely onerous, complex um, inefficient affair. It's definitely not easy to get a gun in this country. The process, I think, is horrendously expensive. Um, it can be a lot more cost effective than it is. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's a horrendously overregulated industry. Um, mm. You know, the, 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 the profit margins that dealers make are, are, are narrow. 
mm. and there isn't a large amount of customers to serve. So you don't get like in America that massive economies of scale and economies of scope that yeah. work in your favor. And importation costs nail us because so little of the stuff is manufactured uh, locally, mm. which is something that's hopefully going to change in the near future. But before we can get to that, we need to bat this government for a six and all their shitty ideas. Every person has has different needs. Okay, mm. so everyone's got 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 different lifestyles. They've got different wardrobe and wardrobe requirements. They have different uh, physiques and sizes and size of hands and fingers, and they've got different levels of strength. Um, does that, that that makes it sound a bit more complicated than it is. But what I'm trying to get to is the fact that your choice pertaining to gun needs to be ergonomic for your lifestyle. So first and foremost, go for what is the most reliable and best supported in the country. And at this stage, the, the four brands that, that have that is Glock, Taurus, CZ, um, but I'll put CZ below Smith & Wesson. Smith & Wesson is incredibly well supported. And Smith & Wesson is Smith & Wesson and Glock are premium brands. CZ isn't what I would call not a premium brand. Um, but then it depends which of their handguns you're buying because the PO7 is, is cheap as, mm. as chips. And then the Shadow, which is a competition handgun, is incredibly expensive. And it's a very high quality piece of equipment. And yeah, go for, go for what's reliable and well supported. And then amongst those options, pick something that fits you as a person. There's no point in a woman buying a Glock 19 because it's a double stack, fairly chunky. It's a compact, but it's not that compact. Mm when she might in fact buy something like the Glock 43X, which is a single stack, very slim, very compact handgun. And that's something she might actually carry on her person as opposed to leaving it in a safe. It's it's the same for a man. Lots of guys make the mistake if they go out and they buy a full-size service pistol because it's big and chunky and it's got a big ammo capacity. But after carrying it for about three weeks, they go, oh, this thing's a bit too difficult to conceal. Mm. Uh, they're going to leave it in the leave it in the safe instead and just shoot it at the range. And that's the whole thing is you need to have a realistic understanding of what you're trying to achieve. You might be able to conceal that gun. If you are committed to making it work for you, you will, but it's also a function of your attitude. So um, for women, I generally say start with the Glock 43X as your first port of call and then work your way outwards or inwards from there, depending upon what your needs are. And for men, I generally say start with a Glock 19 because as a defensive handgun, mind you, because that's the gold standard of defensive handguns. Mm. And then work your way outwards or inwards from the Glock 19, you know, depending upon what your needs are. Um, but that's just a broad generalization. Uh, that's not me saying get a Glock 19 or get a Glock 43. I say look at that and then start zooming out and looking around. Regular shooting at a club is quite important, eh? It is for the simple reason that that shooting is not something that comes naturally to most people. Mm. It's very much a learned and acquired skill that's also perishable. So how skill development works when it comes to physical manipulation of stuff, whether it's driving or playing golf or tennis or uh, is something as, as silly as bricklaying, you need to create neural pathways in your body, the so-called muscle memory, which Brian hates people calling it because muscles mm. don't have brains, which is true. But we have neural pathways. And the way of creating and reinforcing a neural pathway is, is training and repetition. And that's where going to the range is so important, is you, you will never attain your maximum level of proficiency if you don't spend some time there. 
Mm. That born in mind, most people can't afford to go to the range once a week and shoot out a box of ammo. It's, it's too time-consuming and expensive for them. So what we, we have instead is we encourage people to do a, a sort of structured form of dry fire practice at home mm. where you put the laser cartridge in your pistol um, and you practice with dry fire or you, get, or you get something like a cert pistol if you've got that kind of money train at home and then once you you know you've trained at home you go cement that at the range with dedicated training sessions so you don't have to spend so much time and money on ammo to go do it it's always better to do live fire if you can yeah but it, it's not the only way to train it's not the only way to get good at it yes a great question from evan yes uh he wants to know the various steps and costs to to getting a gun from from having nothing to getting a gun it's a great question okay so the first port of call is going to be your proficiency training that you have to do now market related prices you're looking at if you just want to do legal and handgun you're probably going to look anywhere between one and a half to two thousand rand for that if you're going to do combination manuals which is a handgun shotgun semi-auto rifle manual rifle and legal you're looking at between three and five thousand rand depending on where you do you know do these modules so that's the cost of the proficiency training. Once you've done that, you need to apply for your actual competency. I think it's a it's a hundred rand or seventy rand for the actual application at the cops, and then you're going to wait for them to approve that competency certificate so that you can make a copy of it and apply it with for your firearm license physically. Before you can actually get the license, there's a couple of things you need to do. You need to buy a safe to lock the gun. And if it's a handgun, you just want a handgun safe, that's going to cost you between 600,000, 200 bucks. Um, to get the handgun itself is going to cost you anywhere between seven and a half and 12 and a half thousand Rand, depending upon what you buy. Um, we, I'm ignoring everyday carry equipment. I'm not talking about holsters or belts here as part of the cost at all. We're just talking about getting the actual gun. Um, you're going to either have to write a motivation letter yourself or get someone like Max Rossi from Otivas to write it for you because even though his rates are like 1,200 Rand, he has a 100% success rate. And then you're going to have to do pay for the actual application, which is about 120 bucks. I'm trying to think if there's any costs I left out, but it is, as you could have by now tallied, yeah. it adds up uh, over the months and weeks. So it's not a cheap process. Now, imagine you live in a township on the minimum wage Mm. And you're the person who really needs a gun because your policing is even worse than someone living in a suburb. No, it's it's not. And you need to afford that. Yeah. Yeah. So then you end up on the black market. Yeah. Yeah. Then you go buy a 38 Special or a a CZ75 on the black market for a couple of thousand rand and that's it. Yeah. Closer to 20 to 25, I'd say. All right. All right. 20 to 25,000 rand from start to finish. And then you've got the gun in your hand and it's all legal. Uh, Wolfgang is being a bit technical here. He's saying it's not a gun, it's a firearm. That's that's true. A gun is a piece of artillery, but uh, euphemistically, uh, and I think for the for for the purposes of brevity, guns okay. I think <laughs> we 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 like to say gun because it gets it gets everybody who's politically correct all riled up. Yep. Yeah, there's <laughs> many arguments like uh, people who own guns end up. Uh, killing themselves or their guns get stolen and used against them on the surface of it it's not untrue because some people do end Mm. up with their guns stolen and used against them 
but they're very much in the minority as to be considered statistically insignificant, thanks to uh, Anthony Altbecker's research that yeah. kind of proved that. They actually commissioned him to do that research in the early 2000s, and the results weren't what they wanted. Uh, so instead of accepting that, they just uh, twisted the wording of it. And in fact, they didn't twist the wording. They just outright lied and didn't bother correcting it ever. Um, and there are people that kill themselves with guns and commit suicide. That does happen. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to be you. And and this is the whole thing for me is they zoom in on the firearm as being the causal factor of violent crime. They, they zoom in on it as being a causal factor of suicide. Now, I'm not a psychologist nor a psychiatrist. I've never counseled anyone in my life. But I'm pretty sure if you had to ask someone what makes them want to kill themselves, I, I would be highly surprised any of them would say, oh, it's because I have a firearm in my house. Mm uh that's you know i'm not a brain surgeon here but i don't think the the presence of yeah. the gun is the causal factor or the driving factor of of the person wanting to commit suicide nor is the fact that someone being unskilled at weapon retention which bizarrely enough believe it or not is a small tiny minority that they have their own guns used against them um I do believe if you own a gun, it's a huge responsibility that you must take very seriously. But I also at the same time believe that that the overwhelming majority of people are entirely capable of mm. shouldering that responsibility and are trainable and can learn to be highly effective in the use of that firearm. That's the major difference between me and them is gun-free is A, see people as helpless idiots that are incapable of, of performing this basic task of of defending themselves, but they offer no solution. Their solution is we need to disarm society, which is not possible. It is, it's an impossible thing to do. And we'd be here all night to, to unpack why, but when you're asking for, okay, but apart from that, what other plans do you have? And they go, well, no, we, we, we need society to be disarmed. And it's, it just, yeah, it's mm. not gonna, it's not gonna happen. What are the different kinds of licenses you can get? So obviously we're talking about self-defense here, but there are others. Yeah, so self-defense is section 13. And then you get uh, occasional sport shooting or occasional hunting, which is section 15, S15. Then you get dedicated hunter or dedicated sport shooter, which is section 16. Then you have a segment for the collectors, which I don't know which section that is. And you also get business purposes, which I think is section 20-something. Um, so that's security companies and training institutions and the like. Now, the interesting thing with this proposal, apart from the fact that it wants to do away with self-defense as a reason to own a gun entirely, it also destroys sport shooting and hunting for all practical purposes due to the firearm limitations. I mean, it, it, it limits a sport shooter and a hunter to being allowed to own two rifles only whether they manual action or semi-auto is relevant um most sport shooters who aren't even particularly dedicated that i know need at least like five or six rifles if not more than double that um just for the nature of what they're competing in and it's the same with handguns and shotguns so limiting people to say oh you only need six guns means well it might as well pack sport shooting in in total because there's no way the community can survive with these types of limitations what they don't tell you is that because we just had this discussion about neural pathways to maintaining proficiency and competence 
sports shooting is one of the gateways that people use to even though you know they might not be springbok shooters or anything they use sports shooting as a way to improve their skills improve their knowledge their safety become more responsible firearm owners you take sports shooting away you end up with a lower quality more unsafe worse gun owner than that you previously had which is perversely the outcome the government seems to want i also want to know what happens in the event you shoot somebody with any of those guns inside your home okay so i'll sort of answer that first yeah. the act says any firearm can be used for any lawful purpose there were a case of a, a disabled uh, elderly gentleman in george who was attacked by a, a, a robber in his house and in the struggle he shot the guy with his hunting rifle and that was legit so you know no one's going to say oh god now you, now you have a problem because you shot this robber with a with a rifle that wasn't licensed for self-defense that that's not how it works um home defense you know your first port of call is always going to be a handgun but i tell you what a a shotgun is an pump action shotgun is an incredibly versatile weapon however it requires a fair amount of skill to use not to shoot it because pointing and shooting it is quite easy the skill level comes in at keeping it fed because you're going to need to train how to load into the chamber you're going to need to train how to load into the tube and do so proficiently while pointing it down range not turning it upside down like a lot of the sports shooters do you keep the shotgun in your shoulder and you load from the bottom that's why um you are going to go practice that at the range right that's why range time is so important so shotgun definitely for home defense um if you can't get a pump action and you're only stuck with the over under that's not bad just have that handgun there as a, as a backup transition because you after two shots you're out but a shotgun with slugs or proper lg or ssg one heck of a, a effective uh, firearm to use in a defensive situation so semi-automatic means every time you, 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 you every time you fire the 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 handgun or rifle or shotgun or whatever the firearm is you have to squeeze the trigger you can't just hold it in but it also means that you do not manually have to work the action between shots so whether it means pumping because that's what's called a pump action shotgun you pump the action bolt action you don't have to work the bolt action the pump action or the lever action in between shots you could literally just carry on squeezing the trigger but you can't hold it in because it doesn't have a burst fire or a full auto mode so semi-auto means one shot per squeeze of the trigger but you can carry on squeezing that trigger without having to to manipulate the firearm in between shots and for that matter an automatic is illegal to own in south africa unless you're a category three collector in which case then you can but there's like five of them or something stupid so they don't count <laughs> do the police use automatic weapons they do the the r5s are automatic um but i think not even at morikana did they use them on full auto mm. so yeah it's not it's not really a thing they do and in terms of uh mod modifying your weapon so that it can mimic that kind of action is that considered illegal yeah it's de it's unfortunately guys definitely illegal don't don't do it <laughs> um, let's just say you are not in your home you're in a public space you get attacked and you shoot and kill somebody um i, I think a lot of people are worried about that uh they think they're going to go to jail 
Well, no, you're not going to go to jail. So what what happens is every single case of private defense is taken on its own merits. And look, this is South Africa. Let's be realistic. You might get a malicious police officer that arrives. It's just spoiling to lock someone up. Or they might be incompetent and they do it because they think that's how it should be done. In many cases where people get locked up after a self-defense shooting, the police officer is not being particularly malicious. They're just entirely ignorant and incompetent and don't know how to do their jobs. And they assume that that's what, what needs to happen when, in fact, it, it, it isn't necessarily the case at all. Especially if you um, are someone that is permanently residing somewhere and have given you full cooperation. So in my case and in most cases of the people I know, because in the past five years, about my, excluding myself, 10 of my close friends and acquaintances have been in defensive shootings where they shot people. None of them got arrested. Okay, one, sorry, one did, but he kind of, he kind of deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> but he got he, it all turned out fine. He was being a dick. Um, but um, in in the overwhelming majority of those cases, the police were professional about it. That mm. doesn't mean they always will be. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Uh, I'm not that naive. But uh, you know, even in a case where a situation went really horribly sideways and someone got shot, in, the the aggressor got shot in the back. The person who was arrested and then charged eventually given, uh, you know, was convicted for, for that, wasn't convicted because he shot the guy in the back because yeah. that would actually under the circumstances shit happens, uh, it probably would have been ruled fine. He tampered with the scene in an attempt to hide the fact that, that he shot the guy in the back and the mm -hmm. investigating officer picked up on it and he was actually charged and then convicted with defeating the ends of justice, not with, you know, the actual shooting. So that's why I tell people there is a thing on Paratus as well that explains what do I do, you know, in the aftermath of a defensive shooting. I'll also send those links to you and you can add it to, yeah, to please the podcast. Do. But um, don't, one of the things, don't lie to the investigating officer. Mm. You don't have to make a statement on the scene. Rather go see your legal counsel, do the statement through your legal counsel and, um, you know, have it done within 24 to 48 hours. Don't make statements on the scene because you might incriminate yourself because you're not in any position to make statements. But what you can do, and it's the, the Masada Yub school of advice, is you say to the police officer, listen, that guy over there, point him out, the dead guy. Attack me or attack that person over there with that knife or that gun or whatever. Point out the evidence, the, the, the weapon. And I shot him to stop the attack. Here are my cartridge casings. And then you say, and I'm sorry, I will give you my full cooperation within 24, 48 hours. Once I've met with my counsel, uh, I'm not going to make any statements on the scene. And that's it. Now you've cooperated with the police. You've answered their basic questions of what exactly happened here. Because what a lot of other people do that watch too much American TV is they fold their arms like, nope. I'm shutting up. I'm not saying a word. And in some cases, the policeman arrives on the scene. There's one dead guy. And there's a living guy with a gun who refuses to talk to them. Of course, yeah. they're going to fucking arrest you. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's just, it's just what, what's going to happen. I'm going to cut this, this piece out of the podcast when I upload it. But someone made a, a spelling error and I, I laugh because he says, yeah, <laughs> he, he talks, talks about a bum stock rather than a bump stock. And I think in Cape Town, it'll be called a bum stock. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're the we're the gay capital of the world, Jeremy. We have to do it with our strengths. 
How do you carry a gun in South Africa? Okay, so by by law, you either it needs to be completely covered. There's a difference between covered and concealed, guys, but we won't go into the technicalities. But it must be completely covered, either in the bag or in a suitable holster, which covers the trigger guard, on your person or under your direct control. So that could mean a whole bunch of things. But there are so many different options for holsters. There are different carry options for women. There are different off-body carry things. Just, just for the love of God, don't do one thing. Please don't get a car holster. Like, that's just, it's a, it's a terrible idea. I have an article on Paratus where I sing praises to car holsters. That's a parody. I, I even put it under the tab Comic Relief. So please don't read that and go, oh, but you said it's a good idea. It's, it's not. That was, I was taking the piss. I, I promise. Um, don't get a car holster. And preferably don't get an active retention holster that needs to activate with your trigger finger because that's the, that's the whole serpa thing where you draw the pistol from your hip with and your trigger finger slips into the trigger and you shoot yourself in the foot then the femur and it's not a nice thing to do. So don't have those. And yeah, small of back holsters generally also a bad idea for the simple reason. If you take a tumble and you fall, you might break your coccyx or even like displace some discs in your lower back which is generally not a good thing if you don't want to end up in a wheelchair so we do uh, accredited and non-accredited training so we do proficiency training under the banner of false bay farm training academy we've uh, got a satellite station in somerset west uh, where it's myself and roger sedges who are instructing there so we do the proficiency training from scratch we also do business purposes we do regulation 21 for security officials and we also do non-accredited training, which is everything from basic handgun familiarization, which is a one-day course. Mm. And that's for people who uh, either don't know anything about guns and they don't know if they want to do competency training, but they'd like to learn about guns, or people who've just gotten their guns or just for the first time or just passed their proficiency training and they would like more in-depth, detailed information. Um, and it's a sort of course that equips you that if you end up in a situation and you pick up a gun that's lying in public in a really bad, you know, bad during a bad incident, that you'd be able to safely manipulate that gun uh, to at the very least not shoot yourself or anybody else, or in the worst case, use it effectively to defend yourself. That's the whole thing. Then we also have defensive shooting courses that we do. Um, there's a whole range of stuff at CHS Guns and Ammo, by the way. That's where we are. Rosie wants to know what happens if you use somebody else's firearm and shoot somebody. So that's always an interesting one because you're allowed to use someone else's firearm whilst under their supervision, even if you don't have a license or competency or anything. You're not allowed to have access to someone else's gun um, from their safe. But th this is that's always this conundrum of, you know, your guns are locked in the safe. Your wife doesn't have a gun. There are people breaking in, threatening to kill her and she's got you on the phone, are you seriously going to say, honey, um, I'm not allowed to tell you where the safe keys are because the law says I'm not? Mm. Or are you going to say, listen, this is where it is. Get get the Glock out and defend yourself. Um, I don't think there's a magistrate or judge in the country that's going to convict you under that technical aspect of the, the act under those circumstances. But again, um, every situation is unique, Right. You, you, there's no there's no one size fits all when it comes to defensive shooting outcomes and and how you know the law treats them so yeah you are a true gentleman thank you jeremy it was great being on and let's do this some more uh, i've always always enjoy being on the show
If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.